0: This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. I told them the only place to get them took and they have a seasonal limited edition offering It's right now this spring and summer including men's and women's boots apparel hats accessory and more My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday in case you've seen me many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized and with regular live music and events there's no in-store experience quite like it if you can't make it into the store just visit tecovas.com that's tecoba scom they offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and they ship right to your door Go to dacobus.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Download the DraftKings app today, use the promo code CHAIL to get in on all the action. Guys, coming up on today's show, I'm gonna give you my official predictions for Chamaya versus Diaz, as well as Ferguson versus the Leach. Plus, I'm gonna tell you a Kevin Holland story and discuss this. What will happen if Diaz pulls the upset? I'll get to all of that and more on today's show, but let's begin with this. Jesse on fire. All he says to me is, Hey, have you seen this? And it's a screenshot of a tweet put out by Brett Okamoto. And Brett said, I'm going to do my best. I'm off of memory here, but he says, Nate Diaz is going into the fight promotion business. Top level kickboxing, MMA, and grappling. Nate Diaz will be applying for his promoter's license soon. That's it. There's your cliffhanger. Now, Where do you want to start on this, guys? Because we probably saw this coming, didn't we? I mean, the talk of Nate versus Jake Paul that was absolutely everywhere, and this is why Nate's hurrying through his contract, and this is why Nate wants to get done. If If we do a little bit more research on that, we created that. Nate never told us that. Neither did Nate's coaches or managers. Neither did Jake Paul or his trainers or managers. We did that. And Nate waited on it and said, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, Nate would have every right to say he's not going to do that and get a little talk going. I understand those things, but in fairness, that's not how Nate does things. When Nate tells you no, it, he's telling you no. When he, he tells you yeah, he's telling you yeah. And I don't care if this one gets ran back or not. This is not like his integrity is on the line. I'm just sharing for you. It stood out for me. I go, well, wait a minute. I thought that was done. I thought these two were boxed. I thought this what this whole thing was about. Where did I get that? I had to sit and I had to think for a minute. I go, I got that from you guys. You guys got that from me. We created that. That was never actually told to us. Okay, then what is Nate's plan? Where is Nate going? What is his big hurry? I mean, Nate went on Ariel's show and said he was offered Conor McGregor and that he turned it down. Red panty night is still very real. And it was two days later, it comes out the announcement who his next opponent's gonna be Jeremiah. So Nate's, in, Nate, Nate's getting on with it for something. If it's not going to be the Jake Paul thing, we weren't left with a whole lot of options other than he was going to go into the promotion business. Now, quietly, Nate has surrounded himself with some very successful people. And Gilbert has spoke about this. Gilbert Melendez has spoke a couple of times, and I think it just kind of buzzed over people's head, but you could go out and find it. And Gilbert has spoke about a lot of the successes that Nate has had off camera. So he's just got good people around. That's all that I'm sharing with you. And if they want to go in a direction, he thinks that he can put a fight promotion together. Let's guess what that would look like. Now we didn't have very many details from this tweet. High level kickboxing, high level MMA, high level grappling. Okay. I'm interested. Sounds very similar to what one championship is doing. Where are we going to go from here? Now, If I was to guess, if somebody was to come in and go, chale, how are you going to do this, right? You have event planners and then you have promoters. What's the difference? Well, the difference is one has multiple dates. That would be the distinguishing definition of are you a promoter or are you an event planner? There are some very big events that have happened. I could name for you some very big fights over history and you go, wow, yeah, that's a big fight. Yes, I've heard of that one. Yes, I saw that one. Yes, I remember it was. I could do that, but then I could also come in and tell you who put them on. you say, what? And it wouldn't be who you think. So event planning can be okay. But if you're a promoter, you're a storyteller. The only way you could tell a story is if you have multiple dates, right? You guys understand the difference. If you have a four-part series... Part three is going to be predicated on what was told in part two, which was predicated on what was told in part one. So if I was to give some advice, see, I like promoting. I don't like event planning. I've been on both sides. I didn't like like planning events. That's just personal. I liked to tell a story. I like to have a reason that we're doing this, which is going to lead to another reason. I like that. Doesn't make me right. And in many ways, if somebody was to attack this business, which is very, very hard for many, many different reasons. But if they were to do that, if they can get all the things in place, number one of which would be distribution, that's going to be the hard one. But if you've got it, boy, you got something there. If you got some ends and you can break into this business with distribution, wow, you've done something there. But I would encourage you, and I wouldn't have done this a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, I'd tell you, you better be a promoter. You better have, You better be a storyteller. You better use plan A for plan B to get you to C and D, E and F. That's what I would tell you. Right now, I'm not sure that I would. I think I would go the other route. I think I would be an event organizer. I would do one event. I would find just the right date and just the right location with just the right guys. I'd pop the popcorn. I'd pour the beer. I'd set up the tent. I mean, I would would do the whole thing. But it would be one event. I would then take that, I'd take my oars out of the water. I would make no commitment. I would do no long term contracts. That's risky. I mean, there's a risk on both sides of it, but I have seen a number of people get an MMA and I've seen them just go too hard, too fast. Have you heard of a guy named Mark Cuban? Just for fun, but if you heard of a guy named Mark Cuban, because see, the business side of MMA is absolutely fascinating. And some people really study, they see what draws, they see what works, they see what comments get you over. They see what personality and gimmicks and what that will do for you. Other guys, this is straight-up competition. If I'm going to get to the top, I'm going to beat 15 men in front of me. If that doesn't get me to the top, then by God, I'm going to beat 17 men in front of me. I mean, there's some, okay, you do your theory, I'm going to observe this there. But if you study the business of MMA, it's wildly fascinating. Not to mention the UFC specifically this year. Because 2022 Dana White and 2001 Dana White do not get along. They are not in the same room together, right? They sit down for lunch. They both walk out on the other one and think the guy's a fool. I mean, it's very, very, very different what they're doing. Okay, Mark Cuban. You guys, I've heard of him. Great, Mark Cuban was in the fight business. Are you aware of that? Mark Cuban owns a basketball team called the Dallas Mavericks. Now, so it goes to Dallas, puts on an MMA show. So it's way back many years ago and Cuban comes in, he's got a sweatshirt, he's got his hat on. Starts walking around the crowd. He just starts asking, hey, what do you think of the event? And guy tells him what he thinks, and he moves on over and says, hey, guys, you having a good time? What do you think of the event? He starts getting feedback from the fans. So Cuban goes back in, and he sits down, and he's putting all this data together. He's going to come out. He's going to take on the UFC. He's going to make this big wave. He loves MMA. He sees this as the future. He stops everything. He calls Las Vegas. He writes a check, and he buys a little piece of the UFC. He realizes this is the better way to do it because I got to start slow. I cannot start massive. I cannot start eye to eye with them. That just isn't sustainable. I've got to start here and I've got to grow it out or I can go do the other things that I'm doing and I, I can still be part of the action. Now, but that's an interesting story because there's another guy I'd like to ask you if you've heard of. His name is Jim Carrey. When I was growing up, Jim Carrey was the funniest thing the world had ever seen. Now, that, that, of course, is very debatable but he was big and he made faces and he did voices and he did impressions and he was over and his theaters were packed. And the biggest quote in Hollywood at that time was his quote, and it was 20 million per picture. Jim Carrey, somewhere along the way, decides he's going to tell the audience what they like. He decides he's not the funny faces, he's not the funny voices and, and personalists, he's going to be a serious actor, and that's how you guys are going to accept me, and that's why I had to start this whole conversation with, have you ever even heard of Jim Carrey? Because most of you, the answer is no. And Steve Carell is on the fast track to that, Steve Carell is Michael Scott, but he wants to come out and tell you that he's something different. And the theaters are bombing, and his quote sucks, and it deserves to... He picks the world's worst scripts. He goes out and does a good, solid performance every single time. His scripts suck. I don't mean they're bad. I don't mean they're okay. He is the king of... You guys ever seen Narnia? Have you ever even heard of it? You ever seen SpaceX? Have you ever even heard of it? I mean, these are colossal disasters. It's got to be very careful what you pick. Meanwhile, I could ask you an interesting question. Have you ever heard of Jake Paul? And Jake Paul was a guy who had an audience. He built an audience and he got them to come along to something else. It's extremely rare. Britney Spears would love to be an actress. She is massively popular, but unless she's holding a microphone, it's just not what her crowd wants to see. I could use that uh, same example with a guy that I always enjoyed, Roy Roy Jones Jr. Roy was a great boxer. He had great sponsorships. He's doing a great job. He's the world champion. He's the Jordan brand brought him on, but he decided he wanted to be a rapper. Some of you probably don't even know that or you think that I'm teasing right now. Shaquille O'Neal was a wonderful basketball player, went on to be a very successful announcer. He also wanted to be a rapper. Garth Brooks is possibly the biggest entertainer of my life. He wanted to now be known as Chris Gaines. You guys will have to Google that because you'll think I'm making this up. There are colossally bad decisions that are made by people. So if Nate is getting into the fight, I'm simply asking, what would that look like? Who is he looking to take on? And everybody is instantly is going to think, I need to go out there and I need to get the biggest guy. Whoever the best guy is, whoever has the best guys... Whoever has the best talent is going to be the biggest promotion. Really? Were you watching something called the UFC when they were kicked off of pay-per-view? They were kicked off of pay-per-view, the story goes, because the president of DirecTV's wife didn't like it. Do you know who the headliners were? I'm not going to say. I'm not going to be a jerk. But Do you know who the champions were back then? I'm, I'm not looking to be a jerk and out people but they stayed at number one. So it's, it's your ability to tell compelling stories. And while the whole world wants to say you have to have the absolute best fighters, some people go out there and they're writing checks. Well, these fighters don't want to come on a one-off. Million dollars is good money. I can get that five different places, but I can't get a million dollars commitment for three fights, regardless if I win or lose. And all of a sudden you're, you're broke because you're trying to plan these different dates. It's a really, really tough business. And I would just encourage, if you were to come in it right now, Consider being an event planner. Consider doing one thing. And there are people and access, there are favors that Nate Diaz could have off of a Rolodex that would cost anybody else tens of millions of dollars, truly. Truly. I don't want to fight anybody. I'll just use myself. If Nate asks, it's a different conversation, you're doing a favor? Favor is a totally different deal. You got a friend that needs a favor? You're having a totally different conversation than you would in a business approach for one night. You need the favor twice. Now we need to start having a different conversation. I'm just sharing with you. It'd be very interesting what that looks like. I would be very curious. There's a name of the promotion so far. And within Akimoto's tweet that was sent to me uh, by Jesse, it said that he'll be applying for his license soon. I will be curious where that is. I will assume that it's California. But it'd be very telling. And what's that card going to look like? And what are you going to do? What are you going to do if you find that there's a card and it has Nick and Nate Diaz on the same card? What if it was Nick and Nate Diaz and they were taking on Jake and Logan Paul? I mean, I'm just sharing with you by example. There's a lot of fun that you can have and there's plenty of favors that will come to the table one time. But the general concept is to put on a whole bunch, to start spreading it out. Well, you start showing your cards. You start telegraphing, right? I mean, this is a fight business. You either learn something in the gym or you don't. You start putting out multiple days, You start to become the called counter program. There's a lot of things that can be done. Instead, if you collect, you save up your money and you attack one time and then you wait and do it again. I'm just sharing for you. The business side of this is fascinating. I'm sure Nate is going to do great. I'm curious what that's going to be. I look forward to watching it, but it's an entire discussion. And the Mark Cuban example is one that isn't known by a lot of people, but I think that hearing it, I think that you would have learned something. So later in the show, I'm going to talk about this weekend's main event as it pertains to Nate Diaz. But first, I want to take a look at this fight from Jemaya's perspective. Are you guys into Chimaev versus the world, or does that make you uncomfortable? I mean, where do you stand with that? Right, like, like every time there's Chimaev and, but he's ready to go. He's right. Re- uh, Paulo Costa, just being a fine example. Chimaev was with Darren Till backstage. Somebody came up and challenged Till to a fight. Do you guys remember this? And it really upset your mind. If you want to fight, us fight right now. You're walking up and challenging my friend to a fight, us fight right now. Is that cool? I mean, are, are you into that or does it make you feel uncomfortable? Because there's a line, right? And I don't totally know where that line is. I just know it when I see it. Fine example would be Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor had the same thing. It's me versus the world to hell with you all. I am my own brand. I'm doing my own thing. Now, if Conor did it, you probably think, well, it's a pretty good thing to copy seem to get everything right. Well, that's a broad stroke statement. There was some things that Connor did that I wished he hadn't. Uh he ended up with something backstage with Uriah Faber. It bothered me, it made me uncomfortable. Now it was just Uriah and it was just Connor, it's just one on one. Wasn't three or four, it wasn't one of these things, it was just one on one. And it resulted in something. I mean, Connor touched him. Connor but the reason I didn't like it is Uriah thought he was coming face to face with an acquaintance? Faber thought he saw somebody and was being civil and telling him hello. And Connor was just in a different mood. Same thing happened with Connor and Tyron Woodley. Now, again, it was one on one. Everything's fine. Nobody's being bullied. But Tyron had said hello to Connor. And Connor got very upset do you guys remember this thing remember this thing they're like at a craft service table and Tyron says what's up and Connor, Connor's like what'd you say so Tyron said it again he said I said what's up it just it just got a, it got a little bit awkward I'm wondering if you guys like that Chimaev has gone out to say as far as I hope there's a brawl at the way and I'm gonna have 20 guys with me now is he just standing his ground and let you know don't try this stuff with me a new kid on the block. That's fine. That's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm in with it. Or does that make you guys uncomfortable, right? Because I'm not going to tune into a way and excited that perhaps I'm going to see a brawl. Those are just things that within our sport, we don't like when that happens. Not to mention if it's premeditated. It's very different. And I know that we're not to take him literal. I'm just sharing with you a little bit of the time frame so I can come back to the question of, do you guys think this is cool? In wrestling, this has never happened. In professional wrestling, you had the bad guys and you had the good guys. And this is scripted and it's entertainment, but they did great business. They got TV deals, moved some merchandise and packed houses all over the world. It's the good guys versus the bad guys. And you always band to one side. If you're a brand new wrestler, you just got on the scene. Am I in this locker room or am I in this locker room? There was no third locker room. And a guy came along called Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Stone Cold Steve Austin for sure was a bad guy. He had a bad attitude, he had a bad look, and he had bad language. For sure, he's a bad guy. What was different about him is he hated the fellow bad guys just as much as he hated the good guys. All of a sudden, you've got this anti-hero. It had never been created. Even in Vince McMahon's Wildest Imaginations, who's a wonderful storyteller, by the way, he never created somebody that was by himself. He equally despises both of you. In the world of politics, he would be what's called an independent. But it wasn't just that I get along with the Republicans and I get along with the Democrats. It was I do not like the Republicans and I equally do not like the Democrats, right? It was, it's a very different thing. And when you saw it, you saw how well it worked for Stone Cold Steve Austin. So he says to hell with it. It's me against the world. He's in the ring. All of a sudden, three guys come in because they got friends. He's got nobody to back him up. He's alone. Now, Stone Cold happened to have the script on his side so he can elbow one guy, clothesline the other over, over the top rope, give the third one a stunner, nobody's left standing, and there he is. But in real life, it doesn't work that way. You've got to have friends. You've got to align. There has to be somebody that stands with you. Who are those people? See, that code's important. That code matters. Because Nate Diaz lives by that same code, and his circle is very small. It's small enough that they've got their own name called the Scrap Pack. It's Nate, his brothers, S.H.I.E.L.D. and Gilbert. That's it. If you are not one of those four, you're not in the club. It's one of these things, but that was an amazing story. That has always been an amazing story, right? The four horsemen, like that kind of thing works, particularly when it's real. And it's a code that came from, in this place, the streets, and I got carried over to the professional ranks. It's great. People banned to it. People liked it. But we also understood it. There's a code there. No matter what kind of mood Nate Diaz is in, no matter how cranky Nate happens to be feeling, if it's Jake or Nick or Gilbert, it doesn't extend to them. If you throw a water bottle at Nate, bad things could happen unless Gilbert threw him the water bottle. It's one of these things, but you still knew. You still knew who his pack was. And I'm just wondering, I don't actually have my own opinion on this yet. I'm, I'm attempting to form it. I am into Chemayev. I think it was one of the great marketing experiments ever done, and it was done on accident. It was done on accident out of a willingness by Chimaev. And the one part of the story that people continue to miss, Chimaev fought two times in eight days. Oh my goodness, what a tough guy. Oh, he wins both of them. Oh, he stops both guys in the very first round. Like, what an incredible story. The best part of that that gets left out is the second fight was at a lower weight. It's the absolute best part of the Chemiah story. Chamaya's first fight, I'm going back to Fight Island, and you people that think that you know the story and you're following right along, okay, great, but his first fight was at 85, his second fight was at 70, that's what makes it so interesting. He was not supposed to be there, he wasn't prepared to be there, he didn't know this opponent, he did not prepare for this opponent. He essentially, while on Fight Island in this bubble, essentially, he's on vacation, Dana's got him this beautiful room with a beautiful view and all the wonderful foods you could imagine. And he went down 15 pounds. It's the best part of the whole story and it gets left out. So I am very into Chemayev. However, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I and mean, I really don't want to be uncomfortable. When, when, when he confronted Paulo Costa, it made for a good piece of theater. The other side of the story is that was at the P.I., where everybody's welcome. This is a place people have to feel comfortable and at home. They just do. You can't walk in there looking over your shoulder. I spent a big part of my my career having to do that, That, that being that very same thing. I can remember a time I was with my hot ass now wife in a lobby of a hotel and the elevator doors open, boom, so we can jump in. Right? The doors had closed. We pushed the button. We didn't know this. So before they ever took out, it reopens them so we can get in. The elevator was full. It's got the Noguera brothers. It's got Gabe Gonzaga. It's Anderson Silva. And it's got Vandalay in the same elevator. And the doors open. Here I am with my wife. Go ahead. We're going to get another car. But I shouldn't have to be like that. There was no cameras around. We weren't fighting. I should have been able to get right in. I should have been able to slide her. Hey, Anderson, by the way, this is my wife, Brittany. I mean, I should have been able to do that, but I didn't do it. It would have been foolish to do it. What I did was the right way to do it. It was the safer way to do it. I'm just sharing with you. There's a time and a place, but I don't I don't know that Chemayev has that. I think it's any time, any place. There's a coolness to it. There's a part that you guys are going to be drawn to. I don't know that he's gone too far, but it's also not a clear code. I mean, look at the position that Jake Shields got put in when he had to back up Costa. And even if everything ended cool in the game, what if it hadn't? Am I being a prude? Am I a little bit of a baby about this? Mm, I don't think so, because I'm not pointing a finger. I'm not going as far as to say that Chimayev was wrong. I'm sharing with you as we get on board and we start to understand Chimayev and we start to come on this journey that looks like it's probably going to give us another decade. With Chimayev's age and the fact that we all know he's planning to, to go up and change weight class, we probably got about a 10-year journey here. So I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to get to know him. And everybody has a code. You can't be a hero. Unless you have a code and you establish that for the audience. You cannot be a hero unless you fiercely adhere to the rules of the code. It's Bad guy 101. If you're going to be a heel, and particularly if you're going to be a bad guy, you're going to have to do things that are against the rules, right? That's what makes it bad. There's a rule and you break it. However, you still have to have a code. And even if that's not the same one that society elected for you, you have your own code, you identify that, and no matter what, you follow the rules of that code that you explain to the audience. Bad guy 101. And I'm watching Shemaya, and I'm trying to understand it, but I don't yet know what that code is. Football fans, the first Sunday of the NFL season is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in free bets instantly. And as an added bonus for week one, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Guys, it's simple. Bet on an NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. And the May fans, don't forget about UFC 279. It is happening in Las Vegas this Saturday. I cannot wait, you got Chemayev versus Diaz. Chemayev is a 12 to one favorite, or at least he was as of an hour ago. But Diaz isn't fighting for a title, guys. Diaz isn't fighting for reputation. Diaz is fighting with absolutely nothing to lose. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, do it right now, and use the promo code CHAIL. That's gonna get you $200 in free bets instantly. When you place a $5 bet this Sunday, that's code CHAIL, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You know, guys, I got a funny story. I got a funny story that you guys never got to see, so you'll remember lad. Lad, uh, Joel's son, and he was a character on this program five or six years ago, right when we started, but had a conversation with Lad just yesterday, and huge fight then. Lad does not forget anything, but I'm talking about he will know what round to the second that somebody was beaten. And then he could tell you the arena in addition to the year. And he could do it right off the top of his head. Like he is in a very impressive mind. If you were to ever have like a trivia of NNA, you would love for Lad to be on your team, but he was asking me about this weekend. He's just going through the main card, very normal conversation that we have. Eventually he comes to Kevin Holland. And I said, lad, I will always go with Kevin Holland, but it's, it's for personal reasons. And my experience with Kevin, you guys remember the year that Kevin broke on to the scene? I think it was two years ago, right? But he had five fights in one year. He won them all. And one of them was even a stoppage over Jacare, which is just a massive victory for anybody to do. But he had five fights and he won them all. He was the go-to guy. He was as close to being a modern-day Cowboy Cerrone as anybody not named, Donald Cerrone. I needed him. We had a match. It was submission underground. It was very short notice. And he had just fought Kevin Holland. He had just fought, only relevance being, we knew what he weighed. We knew what he weighed. He just weighed in in front of the world. His opponent was going to be Rumble Johnson. Now, Rumble Johnson in a steel cage, let me stop you right there. If, if you want me to tell you a frightening story, I just did. I just stopped it right there. I don't have to give any other details. Rumble Johnson in a steel cage, right? There. Boom. I just told you a scary story. That's going to be the opponent. But one thing about Rumble is nobody knew what he weighed. Rumble was doing fights on the open scene where he did them up at heavyweight. He was doing the ultimate fighting championship. He was doing them at 205 pounds. He was all the way down to 170. Like, Rumble and his weight is a part of the Rumble story, and he hadn't been seen in a period of time. What does Rumble weigh? All we could tell you is a lot, but we know what Kevin weighs because he just weighed in. So they're going to get matched up together. You're going to have to talk Kevin into this. You know, it's, it's Rumble, and who knows what he weighs, not to mention. He said yes. Kevin Holland, who I did not know, I got his number, I believe, from Ariel on like a favor. I mean, I did not know him. I'm cold calling him out of nowhere, except the match with Rumble. He ended up getting called by the UFC to go and do another fight, making it like his sixth match. So that match didn't happen, but it was still the attitude, and those things mean something to me. When I have that inside information of somebody's actual grit and actual willingness, and it was not because he was confident he could beat Rumble, by the way, what I appreciated is the outcome had nothing to do with it. It was a chance to compete, particularly with a big name, not to mention he loved the platform. Great. But he was in, and that's cool to me. Now, Ladd went down to that submission underground to make videos. Lad is going to go down. He's got a camera. He had taken a class. I don't know what they call it. It was a high school class, whether it was called editing or it was... But where you have a camera, you edit stuff, you produce a piece. Kind of a big deal. I wish they would have had it when I was in high school. And Lad's in the midst of this. So we bring Lad down. He's going to go and do interviews. Lad talks to Rumble Johnson. I started this whole thing by telling you guys, here's a story that you don't know. Lad goes around and he interviews everybody. It was a who's who. I mean, he's talking to Cowboy, he's got RDA, he's got Craig Jones, he's got Ryan Bader's, his massive who-who. And if you're a fan like Lad is, this was probably a very exciting moment, but he stumbles upon Rumble Johnson. So Rumble Johnson decides to stop his warm-up and give Lad the time. Lad asked Rumble, what is your favorite burger? Now, I don't know what answer Lad was looking for. Cheeseburger barbecue bacon burger. I don't know. There's only so many kinds of burgers, but I just know this was the question. What is your favorite burger? Now, Rumble didn't hear him right, and Rumble thought that he had asked, what is your favorite murder? Now, that's okay. You got a B and an M, and the words sound really close. The problem is Rumble answered it. Like, Rumble started to answer the question. I have no idea where he was going to go with that. Like, well, you know, the Night Stalker was kind of one of my Like, I don't know where that answer was going to go. But he began to answer the question. And then he realized, I was asked a different one. Reconfirms that with let Hey, wait a minute. Did you say burger? Like, are you asking if I like mustard and pickles? It just turned into one of these moments and I don't know if I've ever told you guys the story, and it ties in to Rumble, but anytime I think about Rumble, I think about Kevin Holland, and I think about his willingness. Now, he's got a, he got, found himself a really hard fight. Danny Rodriguez is nobody's fool. The one thing that we have been watching Kevin Holland closely for is his resistance of a takedown. I don't have a problem with Kevin Holland being on bottom. And Kevin Holland isn't proud of his big, beautiful martial arts career. He's not proud of his courage that I just spoke to you about, that you guys are all his fans, that he got five fights, and he's got a stoppage win over Jacare. That's not what makes him proud. What makes him proud is the tutelage that he has been shown by Travis Luter. He is an extremely respectful student, and he wants to serve Travis Luter, who is a masterful black belt on the ground. That's what Holland wants to do. Because of that, he does not resist the takedown. Even if you go down, you got to make the guy work for it. You got to make the guy earn it. You got to take a little energy out of him so that when you get to the ground, he's now at a little bit of a deficit. That has been the knock. Kevin Holland agrees. Kevin Holland agrees with everything that I just said to the point They got on an airplane, he went out to the AKA in California, and he sought advice from Daniel Cormier, one of the sports great wrestlers, one of the sports great teachers. And he went out and he worked with him. It was a small period of time, I believe even a week. But if a guy can identify, right, it's not just where your hips go. It's not where your hands go. It's not where you dig an underhook. It has to start with, I want to stop the takedown because I don't need him to stop it. As a fight viewer, I don't need Holland to stay on his feet. I need him to resist the takedown. I need him to make the guy work. And I tell you this as a wrestler, there are very few things that will throw me off my game. If my plan is to come out and get you down, there's very few things that are going to throw me off, other than is the squeeze worth the juice? The hardest thing you can do from a cardiovascular standpoint within that cage, it's not a three beat combination, it's not throw a kick, it's not the footwork, it's none of those things that's going to take down. There is no exertion that will be more difficult than that. Now, that's okay, because the squeeze is worth the juice if you get on top and the guy stays on bottom. If one of two things happen, it will shut a wrestler down. If you're really hard to take down, you, gotta, you cause him more energy, or you scramble up from the bottom. If a wrestler gets on top, he needs a moment. He needs a moment to gather himself, which is if you settle into guard, the wrestler will get. Next thing you know, he's got wrist control. He's got your plan. He's got your head on your chest. And he's sitting up and he's making you pay for it because he got those couple of deep breaths. If you hit the ground and you treat it like the canvas is hot, you come scrambling right off of it. Right? It's a great way to think of it. I would love to tell Kevin Holland that if I was working with him. Hey, that canvas is lava. Don't let your back touch it, right? I mean, you got to think of it. You got to come right off it quickly. But a wrestler will also stop trying to wrestle. He'll go to something else. He'll go and see what his hands can do. He'll go see if he can push you into the cage. He will go to something else if he doesn't get that beat, if he doesn't get that moment. So I don't need Kevin to stop the takedown. I really don't. I need him to offer more resistance. And he agrees. He agrees. Now, Rodriguez is one of those customers that's are going to get you anywhere, right? I mean, this is going to be a fantastic fight. And I don't know how exposed you guys are to Re- Danny Rodriguez. I think in many ways, this is going to be a big coming out party for him because he's going to be on the main card. He's going to be on paper. You're going to have a lot of eyeballs, going to get a little bit of the Diaz effect. I think it's a very good moment. I just don't want you guys to miss the fight. But as you're watching it, Aside from who wins and who gets their hand raised after a potential 15 minutes, you want to make sure that you're paying attention to some of the storylines. And from an X's and O's standpoint, Kevin Holland and the resistance, got to use that word because it doesn't matter if he goes down. No matter how much did he make the guy work to get him there. Other fighters and future opponents who are sitting at home and who are watching this contest are they gonna leave this with an idea of all I gotta do is go tackle Kevin? Boom, I've got I've got the basis formation of my blueprint to beat him, or are they gonna watch and go, hey, this guy's gotten better, this guy's different. That's a lot of effort. I don't know that I can just go tackle, like these things really matter. They all matter, all those small things add up. And I would tell you as I'm watching this fight, I think it's gonna be a fantastic fight. I think that I probably have just identified fight of the night for you, however, I'm not making a prediction on who's going to win. I'm not even trying to influence you guys for that. There's one thing that I'm looking for, which is when Rodriguez goes to drag him down to the mat, how much effort does Holland put in to stopping it? So Holland and Rodriguez are set for a catchweight bout tomorrow night in Las Vegas. And then right after that, it's Ferguson versus the Leech. Let's break it down. My official prediction for Tony Ferguson versus the Leach. Guys, I'm taking Tony, but there's a lot of questions here. Historically speaking, we see boxers do this a lot more than we see MMA guys, but it's just the switching of camps. That's the only thing I'm referring to. When When you switch teams or you switch camps, thinking somebody else has the answer. Boxer loses the fight, he'll never blame himself. I mean, Wilder fired a guy in the locker room. That's their business. That's their thing. But it's, it's a lack of acceptance of responsibility. If you lose a match and you, it's anyone's fault, but yours, you're probably not an accountable person. Probably. Very rare time. Matter of fact, I can't think of an exception off the top of my head where a coach went out there and screwed somebody. I've been following sports my whole life. Set that aside. I bring that example because we have seen it a number of times. And when you go find somebody else, the next performance is usually weird. And that's the word I'm going to use because it's not bad. It's different. You're trying to do something else. And now the audience is sitting there watching. And the reality is no matter what of a good athlete you are or what a good fighter you are, when you have a training camp that in this case, it was about four months. So let's call it four months you're not going to pick up something new. If you go out there and think that you did, and you're going to go and display that with no experience, no prayer, you did it in the practice room, but you want to pay homage to your new coaches. You want to show them that you listened. You want to show them that they matter. And that does happen. From a psychological standpoint, you really want to listen to your coaches. You really want to be a sponge. You really want to go out and show those things. But when you try to do it, you find out that you are not a fighter now with 20 years experience. When you bring something in that you've never done before, it might as well be your first night. It might as well be your first—if you're going to go and do things that you haven't done on any other night, why are we talking about all of the experience? It doesn't make a bit of difference if that's not what you're going to use. Now, adversely, an athlete—and we're talking fighters in this case, but you could be talking LeBron. You could be talking about Serena. The, the moves that they will use in competition, they first were exposed to 10 years ago. 10 years ago, or even in their childhood, and they've perfected it, and they've got it to this point, Right? Mike Tyson only had a couple of combinations. Just by example, the greats only have a couple of swings. But it's all they need. And I guarantee every time Tyson went into training camp or every time he worked with a new mitt guy, they showed him different things. I've got the answers. You need to do more of this. I guarantee. And he showed them respect and he did it in the practice room. And he probably even thought he was going to do it in competition. But when the house is on fire, you will go back to what you know. And when you're out there fighting with yourself, trying to force yourself not to do what you know... But to do what you have now learned, things just get weird. And I'm just saying there's a question mark around Tony. Look, guys, I was teammates with Tony. I've seen two workouts in my whole life that I still remember. And I remember it because I was in awe of how difficult they were. And I had to have a conversation with myself of if that's what it takes to be great, I'm going to have to find something else to do. And I've seen a number of great workouts, guys. Of course I have. Same as you, but they inspired me. They made me work harder. They showed me, oh, I got to do that. Oh, after practice, I got to hit the pull-up bar 20. I mean, whatever it is, you steal, you grab and go, I'm going to be like that guy. I watched Gilbert Melendez one time train. I watched Tony Ferguson one time train. If that's what it takes, my body and mind can't hold up. Now, I'm going back on that story to 2014. I was preparing to fight Vandalay Silva, which ended up being preparing to fight Vitor Belfort, which ended up being Chael versus Usada, Chael came up short for a time frame. Then I lost touch with Tony's training. I go in, right, all of a sudden I'm sitting at the principal's office wearing a dunce cap. I'm not in the gym so much anymore because... I wasn't allowed, I lost touch with his training, but I never lose touch with Tony. Talked to Tony in 2017, talked to Tony in 2019, talked to t- Tony in 2020. And somewhere along the way, Tony began telling you, the audience, but also Chael privately, I don't have a coach. I have a team, but it's my team. I'm in charge of it. I'm bringing up a whole crop of ninjas and I thought it was marketing. I thought it was marketing for his gyms. I thought it was marketing for his business. I thought he was doing a pretty good job with it, quite frankly. Guys, he was telling you the truth. It has been a period of time. I mean, I got to go back to 2014 where I can actually prove because I saw it with my own eyes, but somewhere between 2014 and now, Tony doesn't have a coach. That doesn't work. All the greats have a coach. Mayweather has a coach. McGregor has a coach. Simone Biles has a coach. Serena Williams has a coach. Tiger Woods has a coach. I mean, go through it. None of them get so good that they're in charge. None of them. They all have somebody that will call the shots. Too hard to stay accountable. Not to mention you don't know enough. No matter how good you are, once you become a coach, it's a whole nother level. You start coaching something for one month, you are going to understand it better than you did while you did. You're going to become better. Some of the things you were just moving, you're just making a reaction. What, you can really break it down. How I pulled the elbow, how I stepped, what reaction I got from him. It's one of these, you got to have a coach. And Tony hasn't had one, so now he does. And not only does he have a coach and a team, he's got great coaches, he's got a great team. He's got Greg Jackson, just by example. He's got Coach Winklejohn, and Coach Wink never gets enough credit. That's a whole nother story. And then he's got the team. He's got that whole crew out there in Albuquerque. Now that's going to sound like a positive, isn't it, guys? That is a positive. I agree. But in four months, if you start doing something new and you want to perfect it, some of it's because you want to get better. And the end of the piece of that pie is you want to show respect to the people that are helping. You want to do what they say. You want to do it their way. You want to let them know that you're listening, you pay attention, and you value it. But along that process, you will get away from what got you here in the first place. You will forget your double pump to a cross. By example, you will fit your elbow control to a pass. You're going to change it for an inside tie. I'm getting technical on the terms, but these are the things that happen. If Tony ever gets away or any other athlete gets away from what it is that they once did, thinking I've already got it. And here's a mistake. You'll hear this all the time, right? And I've seen this from my own community of wrestlers. I don't need to work on the wrestling. I've already got the wrestling. You ain't got a goddamn thing if you don't sharpen it every day. I don't care how many... Hodge trophies you won. If you're not in there doing it each day, you're losing and you're regressing. And you'll get away with it for a period of time and then it will catch you. One morning, you will wake up and it will be gone and you'll be, and you'll be struggling to get it back. And then you'll be mad. At you. so, why did I ever let that go in the first place? All I had to do was sharpen it. I didn't have to build on it. I didn't have to perfect it. I just had to sharpen it. I could have done that in 15 minutes a day, but you didn't do those 15 minutes and now you've lost it. And I say there's a question mark around Tony. I think he's going to go out there and fight differently. I think Tony's good enough to win. I'm taking Tony. I think there's a a possible scenario where Tony wins all three rounds. I'm taking Tony, but I'm still adding that question mark. I am curious. Because some degree of what I just said, I went a little extreme on both sides. I'm somewhere in the middle, though, guys. He is going to come out there. He's going to do something different than we've ever seen him do before. His stance, just by example, when this fight starts, is going to look different. Now, if he takes a couple of shots that he's going to go and do his best to return to what it is that he knows, to return to what it is that got him here. He's going to do his best to do that. But if he hasn't sharpened that and he's pushed that away for four months, that drawer is going to be empty and it's going to turn into a mess. And I'm interested in that. It's a question I'm just, I'm I'm interested in that. I'm interested in what Tony is going to do different. I'm interested in if his conditioning or if his positioning looks different. I do believe in the coaches he has. I do believe in the team. And I do believe that he made the right decision. Four months isn't a ton of time. And when you're dealing with a guy named The Leech, okay, there's, there's no disguises in what he wants to do. The leech wants to get a hold of you. The leech wants to drag you down but he can also do it on the uh, on the feet. I like the clinch work of the leech. I think that his nickname and his moniker is a little bit misadvertising because he's got a pretty powerful right hand. I just don't worry about Tony Ferguson dealing with shots. Aside from the one that Michael Chandler fed him, Tony's dealt with every shot that he's ever had. I'm taking Tony Ferguson but I think as you watch this fight, if you think about this uh, legacy or this is a contendership, if you think about it in that regard, I feel like you're missing the story. I feel, I feel like you're gonna miss a pretty good time. I feel like you're gonna miss what's most interesting, which is real simple. What tools of Tony's past has he kept sharp? Has he valued that are still in the drawer? And what new additions are gonna be on display? Now, in a matter of moments, I'm going to give you my fight breakdown and official predictions for the main event. But first, I want to ask you guys a question. verse versus Diaz. Where are you guys at? Where are you at mentally? Because this has changed and you've changed. I've changed. We all have. I just want to know where you are right now. This entire piece of business is based around two words, and that is, what if? What if Nate wins? What happens then? I mean, I heard Errol wanted to do a whole piece on this, that Dana walks into the locker room right there when Nate's still sweaty and hands him a check for $20 million and says, come back and fight for our championship. That's not a bad guess by Ariel. What if Chimaev wins? Oh, so what? He was supposed to win? I don't think that's right. This is a pay-per-view. This is a main event. This is a sold-out arena. This is going to be seen around the world. This has been stated... To be a number one contenders match. I get that that statement was made prior to where the division is at. I'm just sharing with you guys. It also was an 8-to-1 spread favoring Chemayev that in less than 24 hours, I was sitting in this chair when the fight came out. First thing I did is go to DraftKings. It was 8-to-1. Made a piece on it. Came and talked to you guys. I came back here 24 hours later. I brought up DraftKings again just to confirm that I'm right. It was 12-to-1. It had moved 50 Percent. I just, I don't think there's a time that that's ever happened. Dana White went from promoting and building a fight where he took a star and put him against a star. It's a recipe that works every time, right? I mean, if you're in Dana White's position, you work your entire ass to have a star. If you do a really great job, you got two of them at the same time. Oh, by the way, if they're in the same weight class, your job is now done. You've, you've now already done it. You spent all this money and all this time and all these years working, but this one you can sail in this one is where the fruits of your labor, you just sign them up and off you go. It was not the case. Dana had to come out and justify it. He justify why he was doing it. And there's another thing that never happened. One thing that never happened in this fight, I wanted it to. I wanted it for the drama, and so did you guys, which was promoter versus athlete. Stone Cold versus Vince McMahon. And Dana wouldn't do it. Dana wouldn't do it, didn't do it, isn't about to do it. Wouldn't it raise his tone. Would not be upset at all. Never talked about, hey, if you're ever thinking of leaving the USC, you know, it's probably a good idea and I'd never get in your way. If you ever think about retiring, you know, it's probably a good idea that you retire. He didn't play any games. He didn't do anything whatsoever. He told the story the way that it happened. Look, we always have a hard time getting, getting Nate. We wanted him to fight Shemaya for a while. We we're starting to look at other options. Didn't like that was going to come through. We got this one done. Here you are. Dana hasn't gone any further than that. And I'm trying to emulate tone. He never changed his tone. How come? What do you guys suppose that is? Because Nate played ball. Nate was the other side of it. He w- he was ready. He was ready to start throwing him right down the middle. He just never got met. Now, is there anything to that? Quite possibly not, but maybe. Imagine a different scenario, okay? Errol Hawani laid out a scenario. If Nate Diaz beats Tremayev, which more likely than not, if Nate is to win, he stops Chemaev. That's going to be just, I mean, could you even believe that moment? That would be such a bigger moment than if Bruce Buffer gets in there and he reads the scorecards. And Douglas Crosby sees it. And Saul D'Amato and Prisha, Trisha Jarman have it. Like, Could you imagine? That's going to that's be a huge moment. But how much exponentially bigger if Nate was to stop him? So Ariel laid out a scenario that Dana walks to the back. Ariel even had the number, $20 million. $20 million for you to come over to England and do a rematch with Leon. Okay. Let me just give you a different scenario. Nate Diaz leaves the Ultimate Fighting Championship, right? Yeah, ding ding, right? I get it. It's been headlines for a long time. Nate Diaz leaves the Ultimate Fighting Championship, but he leaves there with a massive grudge with Dana. There's no bigger star in our sport, make no mistake. There is nobody that draws or sells or gets headlines more, make no mistake. It's Dana. And imagine, I would argue for you at this point in time, one of the hottest reasons that the topic of Paul versus Anderson has sustained and captivated people is because Dana made a comment about it. I believe that to be true. I don't think that you guys would disagree with me. So imagine that Nate were to leave, he's going to go into a promoter's business. Oh, by the way, he's got heat. I'm just suggesting for you, there could be a very calculated reason why the boss is staying calm. Don't make for a second that when we all found out in Brett Okamoto's tweet three days ago that was shared with me by Jesse on fire that I came and made you guys a piece about that Nate Diaz was looking for a promoter's license. Don't make for, leave for a second that's the first time that Dana heard that. I assure you, he was aware. I, I don't know that that has anything to do with it. I'm just sharing a different scenario for you. Look, let me take you back to the WWE uh, and the Attitude Era with WCW. Eric Bischoff wanted heat with Vince McMahon so damn bad, he was challenging Vince to fights. He finally announced that he had Vince. Truly, imagine this happened to you guys. You guys are consumers. Imagine somebody says. Mike Tyson's fighting tomorrow night. You buy tickets, you come down. Nobody ever told Mike. And Mike is not coming. And when you get there, Mike is not going to be there. And now you're all mad at Mike. Imagine how bad he would look. And he would be furious and he would sue you, correct? Yeah, sure he would. Bischoff did it. Bischoff did exactly what I just told you. Booked arena, booked a date, made a poster, sold the tickets. He was going to take on Vince McMahon. Vince had nothing to do with this. The arena fills up. The TV people are watching. Bischoff works out there. Vince doesn't come. Bischoff accepts the win by forfeit. Vince was too chicken to watch. He knew he was going to be sued. He knew he was going to be sued. He wanted it. He literally was looking for attention to the degree he was looking forward to the court case. His marketing team could justify with the CFO the expense that that's going to go through if you juxtapose that with the attention it's going to bring in. It's a wild story, but it's true. It's true. And this entire fight of Diaz versus Shemaev is going to come down. And as the fight gets closer, if you guys aren't here yet, if you're not to the the, the what-if stage of this yet, mark my words, you're going to think Chael's Kreskin. It is going to happen to you. It is most commonly going to happen in that 72-hour, maybe even 48-hour period, but it is going to happen. What if Nate wins? Some of you are planning to not watch this. Some of you love Nate Diaz so much, that's why you're not watching it. You've seen the odds. You think this is a lamb going to slaughter. Part of you, you will. You'll end up getting it. Because somewhere along the way, you're going to, what if? What if my guy wins? What if DraftKings, who's been wrong before, is wrong this time? And it's very interesting. Nate Diaz did an interview with Brett Okamoto. And Nate Diaz said, I'm the best fighter UFC's ever had. And he sat there with a straight face and he was waiting for Brett to argue with him. But Brett didn't because Nate followed it up. He said why he thinks that. He said, go through the roster and the rankings and you go find anybody that's had as hard a fights as I'm fighting nothing but world champions. And I mean nothing, not to mention I'm doing it at two different weights. I'm doing it at 55. I'm doing it at 70. And it's nothing but gold medalists that I'm taking on nobody can make that claim. It's a strong argument. I like that argument myself. I think that it does matter. I think if a guy's 30-0 and and another guy's 13-5, and but I think you can look a little bit closer. I think it involves deeper research. The sport of boxing doesn't agree. It's got to be an O, and somebody's almost going, you must have these beautiful records. If you lost more than two times, you're a complete bum, but that's not the way they do it in MMA, and I thought that Nate made a compelling argument. I think Nate makes a very fine point. And it's the only time that Nate's ever fought where he's had nothing to lose. There's always been something. And I'm not talking about a little bit of prestige. I'm not talking about a little bit of money. I I get that. But there's always been a title. There's always been a contendership. There's always been something on it. Massive. I don't believe there's one bit of pressure on Nate because of 12 to 1 dog. I think it's the opposite. I think that it's an interesting spot. It would change me. I mean, all I can do is fall the golden rule, guys. Golden rule in life. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. How would you act? If I had absolutely nothing to lose, it would be different. I can remember just uh, to personalize it a little bit, but one of the best performances that I've ever had it was a performance and nobody saw it and it was in the practice room, but it was two weeks after I retired from the sport. Went in to see the boys, put my gear on, did a little workout. I'm looser. There's always been some things I wanted to try, but I never did because I wouldn't use them on Saturday. And I start trying some of these things, they start working. I start flowing. I start to have a different uh, energy. I start to have a different look at it. I don't have to grind this out. I don't have to stay in there. I don't have to push. I don't have to catch the guy in front of me. All these different things that you do But they create a fatigue. They create an exhaustion. All of a sudden, with how training and nothing to transform, my energy was better. I don't know what components of that is going to be true for Nate. And me walking away and being done with the sport versus what he's up against. But I will share one commonality, which is the nothing to lose. I go a little bit further, and I think Nate has ways to win this fight, aside from having his hand raised. I think if Nate wins a round just by example. I think if Nate starts to win scenarios, I think if Nate is the one winning on their feet, forces Jumayev to go for a takedown, any variation of that becomes small victories. You get a few small victories in a fight, you turn it into rounds. You get a few more, you turn into a couple of rounds. You get a few more small victories, you win the contest. I mean, this is the way that this game is played at the highest of levels, but most guys can't do it because they're distracted. They have something else on their mind. They're all puckered up with this fear of where does my career go? Where will I be? Will they resign me? Do they like me? He just doesn't have any of those things. Nate is a human being, as special as he is. These things that apply and these things emotionally that affect other human beings affect him too, but in this case, they're very positive. It's an interesting fight, guys. If you're not there yet, you got about three days, but trust me when I tell you, you'll get there. You're going to get to the category, just like I'm at right now, of what if. My official prediction for Nate Diaz versus I of guys, I'm rolling with Diaz. Now, Chael, how do you say that? Chael, you're a homer. You told us that you got a relationship with Nate, and that's purely what you're speaking to. Hey, you may not be wrong, guys. I'm a human being. I I will share this with you. I will not pick Nate because I got a relationship with him. I just won't. And I never have. I mean, I see guys do that. I begrudge those guys. I come in and take all their jobs away and they can't figure out how come Chael keeps on getting this position. I don't say that to shine my own wheels, but there's certain reasons that Chael gets the position. One of them is Chael has balls and he's not scared to make a pick. As simple as that might sound. Think about it. Put yourself in that spot. Two guys that, you know, your dad and your uncle, but you're the one that has to come out and say who would win if they went into combat, right? You don't want to do that. What an awkward spot. I got to roll with my dad. Same time, you know, my uncle's a couple of years younger and a few pounds bigger. I mean, it ends up in one of those spots. Say. Say it or don't answer the question. I really feel that way. And and we've even got people that will give predictions, but they'll tell you that. They'll go, hey, listen, just so you know, when I do a prediction, and these are professionals. These are people in the position that you would like to be in. I mean, right? That's a very sought-after spot to get it." gonna be there live, gonna participate in the action. They'll tell you straight up, hey, just so you know, whenever ma- I make a prediction, it is a popularity contest. It is whatever one I'm closer with. I will never pick against a friend. They'll tell you that. Now, I actually appreciate that disclosure. But the other guys that do it don't actually give you the disclosure. They just go and do it. And that's lazy. And I don't like it. And I'm taking Diaz. How? How? If I'm going to take Diaz, who's a 12-1 to 1 dog, over the undefeated Hosmet Chemayev, then how is he going to win? Real simple. How's he going? I just think he's going to win. Now, how is he going to win? This isn't water cooler talk. We're not buddies out on the playground. I'm a professional, right? I mean, I'm coming to you from a professional position. He's going to stop him. Nate's going to stop him. In this order of most likely, he's going to cut him, with an elbow, specifically. He's going to slice his forehead and get the fight stopped. In descending order, he's going to submit him. Okay. How are we getting to that conclusion? Look, the only thing, if Nate ever listened to me, Nate likes me, but Nate doesn't want me being his coach. He doesn't respect me in that regard. But if I were, and if I had the power, or if I could uh, talk to coach Richard Perez and just plant a little seed to go back to Nate, appreciate what position you're in, and he does not. It is the only knock on Nate Diaz. He does not agree with the judges in the history of this sport, that if you're on the ground whoever's on top is being favored. He just doesn't agree with that. That is not how he came up. He did not come up as an MMA fighter. He did not come up as an MMA judge. He did not come up as an MMA observer. He did not come up as a wrestler. He came up through jujitsu. Jujitsu started everything. Before he ever threw his first punch, he was doing jujitsu. He learned a takedown or learned to stop a takedown years before that he was doing jujitsu. He was doing it off of his back. He was watching the greats, who he admired, like Hoist Gracie. And there's things that you do, and there's positions, and there's traps that you lay, but you do it all from your back. In came something known as a round. That did not used to exist in this sport. There did not used to be a round. There was no 10-9 must system, but more importantly, whatever position you were in, every five minutes, they did not stop you and bring you back to your feet but this is the time when Nate started to watch and get influenced. And I share this with you because you can start to kind of understand the psychology. It's not just a stubbornness. It's not just a refusal. He believes this in his heart. Hey, there's a number of guys. Chuck Liddell used to pull his hair out. I mean, it would just drive Chuck insane that if I punch you in the face, that's one strike by me. And you kick me in the leg. Now, you kick me twice as hard. I don't hurt your face in the least, but I touched it. You've, you're numbed my leg. Oh, my God. What do you guys call that? Like a Charlie horse. It's starting to hurt. It's starting to bruise. It's starting to be a heatoma form. I did a strike. You did a strike. I hit your face. You kicked my leg. I, for sure, 100% of the time won. 100% of the time, I won. And this was Chuck's point. Chuck's going, man, they don't value these leg kicks. These judges haven't been kicked, they're experts in the sport, they're very good at what they do, but they haven't actually been in the gym, they don't know how bad those leg kicks are, Chuck makes a very good point. And so do I, I'm right about that. I punch you in the face, you kick me in the leg, we both just did one strike. It does not matter the damage that you did versus the damage I did not do. If it's 101, but I hit you in the face, I win. And I'll tell you what, even being armed with that and even having been kicked in the leg, if I'm a judge and I was confronted with that actual thing, I will give a 10 to the person that hit the other one in the face. I will give a 9 to the leg kick. It's not the same perception. Go back and forth for whatever reason, but that is an accurate statement. It's not the same perception. I just want to speak to you about this because Nate is going to give up position without a huge struggle. Chamayev gets in deep, Chamayev sets it up right, Chamayev goes to take this thing to the ground. Nate is going to go there with him without a huge struggle in his mind, thinking that he has improved his own position. And I'm sharing with you where that comes from. For many years of his life and in many years of his experience, that was true. And you guys know this, and maybe it's not fight related, but you know things that you believed or you were told as a child, and you believe them to this day. You tell them to your children. You have no proof, you've never seen evidence, but you have a faith. And people love to use the word faith, right? It's a very powerful word. But have you ever looked up what it meant? I mean, do you know what faith means? Faith is the belief without proof you share that and even if it's not MMA you're not going to get that through Nate's head if Nate watched this video it's it's not going to work okay but I'm taking that into consideration when I'm picking Nate I'm taking that into consideration because when Nate gets you on the ground he there's only a few guys that will do this Tony Ferguson goes into this category Nate Diaz goes to this category Chalers Oliveira to a degree goes in this category, which is they'll strike from their back. They're ne- not just looking for triangles and guillotines and camors. They're not. They're also looking to trap you, freeze you, and to work. Uriah Hall stopped on the ultimate fighter. He stopped his opponent without a submission, and he did it while in guard. This was in 2013. Now, I'll give you a quote that Dana White said. It might not hold up today, but in 2013, Dana White said, and I want you to picture that, guys. Uriah Hall is in guard. He's on his back. He does not use a submission. He stops his opponent. So he stopped him with strikes, strikes from the bottom. And Dana White very calmly just said, I've never seen that before. And when Dana said that, I started to think, well, I'll give you an example where it happened. I hadn't seen it either. 2013, I don't know that it's ever happened. Uriah Hall did it. And it's a, it's a real concept. If you can get those working together, it's the same thing that every wrestler that gets an idea. It's the same thing Bo Nickel is working on right now. I want to get to my recipe, but I got to strike my way in. Okay, great. You're just talking about combining things. You're talking about flowing and combining things. But very few high-level grapplers do that from the bottom position. They go into full grapple mode. I think, from the bottom, a position that Nate could resist. I don't think he will. I think he will go down thinking he has improved, falsely thinking he has improved his own position. But then he's going to go to work, and I think that Nate's going to cut him. One thing that Chemayev does is Aggression. People tell us that Chemayev was this masterful wrestler. I know about his championships. I know what he did within the junior division. I know what he did within Russia, and I know what he did when he switched over to to Sweden. But if you watched all of Chemayev's fights, you're not going to come to the conclusion of just this is a great wrestler. You're just not. He's uh, very masterful with ground control. Even if you watch some of the Smash Bros. stuff that he puts out on YouTube, his submissions are wonderful. Now, he's only got a purple belt. But he still understands these things. And the same thing goes on his feet. He's going to throw kicks. He's going to throw elbows. He's going to throw knees. He's going to throw punches. But one thing, when you fight with reckless abandon, you're going to make a whole bunch of fans. And God darn it, you're going to be fun to watch. You're also going to be vulnerable. You're going to be open. When you are attacking, particularly non nonstop, when you were just throwing, right, guys, every time my hand leaves, I just gave you an opening. Every time I go to I use my hands to protect myself. So if I use that hand for something else, there's an opening. Even if it's a split second, boom, and I bring it right back, there's still that moment, and Shumayev provides those. There's not many, but he does provide them. If you go back to the Gilbert Burns fight, you saw that not only get tested but get proven. When Gilbert landed those strikes, that was not a product of Gilbert laying a trap or using what more commonly you'll understand as a setup. It was not. It was Gilbert Burns swinging back while he was being attacked, but things got through and they damaged him. And I'll tell you another spot in that Gilbert Burns fight. Nobody ever likes to talk about this for whatever reason, but Gilbert Burns almost had an arm bar. And it was less than a second, but it was an extremely basic arm bar from a guy who was bludgeoned, bloody, sweaty, and tired. And he still almost had that arm bar. And for that brief second, when, when Gilbert went to it, a brief second. It was a hesitation you must really understand the sport to have caught this. Chamaya didn't know what to do. 10th of a second, but it happened you witnessed it. Shumaya, as basic as that arm bar, Chamaya just for a second didn't know what to do and then he got his arm out. Now I'm using that because I must have some level of history to support a thesis that's telling you I'm predicting a 12 to 1 dog. I know you guys don't expect much from me when it comes to predictions. I understand. I ain't got a real good track record over here. I do have that, but I still do it in honesty. I don't do it on favoritism. Personal relationship, but damned. I don't wish Chimayev bad, I think that Shemaya with his reckless abandon, I think the fact of, of min- uh, energy management, five rounds a different deal, guys. You're having a whole different sport. There's no sport in the world that because you're the last one of the night or you're for a title, there's no sport in the world that changes it parameters except ours. 11 matches and 22 men are going to go out and do the exact same thing in the exact same arena, in the exact same cage, under the exact same jurisdiction of the Nevada State Athletic Commission. But one match, two athletes are going to have to do it for two rounds more. I mean, it's just one of those things. The Super Bowl doesn't work that way. You don't get to the final game and all of a sudden it's five quarters. It just doesn't work that way. The 100-yard dash, when it's for the gold medal, doesn't become 101 yards. There's just nothing that works this way but our sport. So when I tell you, when I go as far as to tell you this is a different thing, it's a different sport, I'm standing by that. You think that Jemayev is completely undefeated, you think that he's an unblemished fighter, and I'm telling you, you've never seen him do this. Oh, jail, that's silly. It's not. The five-round club is rare, guys. Very. Go back and see how many men are in the five-round club. It's very rare that you ever get booked for it, right? You gotta have a level of success to make it to the top of the bill and or a title fight. Great. But go back even further and see how many guys actually did it. Not just that we're booked for it. See how many guys actually are in the club, and Shemaev's not. can all change on Saturday, but I am, I am going to tell you one thing. As, as much as you think you know about Shemayev, as much as you think you've seen him do this, he, he has not done what he's going to do Saturday. It is a different animal. It is a different management. It is a different strategy. People that think Tremayev's better, he's younger, he's going to kick Nate Diaz's ass. You are correct. He is all of those things. He's going to kick Nate's ass. That's that's not what this is about. It's about who beats the other one. More than one way to skin a cat. They're going to go to the ground. Nate is going to freeze a position somewhere, likely with a triangle. Likely he's going to block a head and an arm. While Hamzat is thinking of the defense, the step over, the pasha while he's thinking about that, boom, those elbows are going to come. Big prediction by me, wild guess. The same one that told you Juliana Pena was gonna win a world championship and I went a little bit further and I told you she was gonna stop her in the second round. Just a guess, just making my prediction but I do wanna share with you guys what I'm basing that on. I wanna make it a hypothesis, which makes it an educated guess, and that is my story. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I wanna remind you that on Sunday, I'll be giving you guys a special UFC 279 Reaction Show. So be on the lookout for that once you wake up after watching a great night of fights. Until Sunday, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome.